Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name is Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're asking, how can digital help leaders amplify their legacy? It's a big question in the context of digital reputation and one of the great untapped opportunities across corporate Australia. Our own research into the LinkedIn efforts of the 200 CEOs leading our largest listed organisations, the ASX 200, showed that almost 85% of those CEOs were either invisible, inactive or ineffective on LinkedIn. 85%. What a huge opportunity to leave a lasting legacy missed. Now, these digital communication platforms are such a rare opportunity for CEOs and others looking to share their voice and views. But for anyone looking to amplify their own positive impact by going well beyond the four walls of their organisation to inspire and motivate other key audiences online, when you talk about legacy and impact, why wouldn't you want to harness that capability? Well, my guest on the podcast today knows this opportunity only too well. In a way, she's a bit of a living, breathing example of someone who amplifies good leadership online and someone who encourages other leaders to take up the opportunity themselves in her new book called Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. She's been the CEO of a global consulting firm, a senior executive leading corporate law firm, and the former acting chair and deputy chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. She's also someone I followed online and admired for her honest and authentic approach to the issues that matter to her, leadership, equality, diversity, and inclusion. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, thank you so much for joining me on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks, Roger. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here and I'm thrilled of the timing too, because obviously there's been a lot going on in your world the past few months in terms of the book launch and everything that's happening. So it's really good to uh, to sit here and I think particularly to unpack the, the digital angle on a lot of the advice and wisdom that you share in the book. So perhaps if we can start there, I'm keen to unpack with you how digital itself can help leaders amplify their impact and legacy. So maybe if I can start with a quote from your book, let's borrow from the source itself, because I think it perfectly captures the opportunity for leaders today. And you say, leadership is simply a series of moments and every moment gives you the opportunity to leave a positive legacy for those you lead. What does that statement mean to you when we think about the role of digital or social media for leaders today? Well, I guess the first comment I wanted to make is that I don't see a divide between digital and social and walking through an office to the kitchen for lunch. I mean, every footstep you take online, offline, whatever it is you're doing, leaves an impact on others. And I think we're long since past thinking about it separately, which is why I'm so amazed at the statistics in your report. Um, I'm not surprised because I know there's very few leaders that sort of allow themselves that freedom to be themselves online, but they allow themselves to be free in other parts of their life. So to me, it's, um, you know, really curious. Just a small anecdote, about a decade ago, uh, maybe a 12 years ago when I was just starting on boards, I remember having a a very senior company director come and chastise me basically and warn me that being online would be the end of my director career. Um, And, you know, I had a momentary pause of could he be right? And then I just decided he was a dinosaur. (laughs) And, um, And I was right, you know, he was. And I think 
you know, back then there were even fewer people online, but I am so glad that I um, have just been myself online, offline for as long as I can think, and uh, it really makes a difference to your own leadership. I haven't answered your question, though, at all about the quote. Can I just make the point that every author loves having their quotes brought back to them? So thank you for that anyway. Um, <laughs> You're in for a treat this next half hour. <laughs> but I do believe, it, you know, leadership is a series of moments and it can be the way you ask for something to be done. It can be whether or not you remember to say hello to someone. It can be online, whether or not you like or comment congratulations when someone shares an achievement they've done. I mean, it might take five seconds for you to do but you know that the person receiving it is going to be absolutely chuffed especially if you're their boss or their boss's boss and you've taken the time to actually um, notice and support what they're sharing. I think that's really good and and look if we can shortcut to the very end of this conversation what you just said there I think is the insight. It can take as little as five Mm -hmm. seconds. This isn't something where we're asking people to add an extra day into their day. It's simply about those little moments and knowing the impact that will have on people around you. And if you can work through that, um, either if it's uncertainty or if it's lack of confidence or if it's fear, whatever the, the thing preventing progress is as a leader, if you can work through that and even just take those little five second steps. I think that is the best and most sensible thing you can possibly do. Take five seconds to have an impact. It, it really is. And I think what's stopping people, I mean, there might be some fear, but for those really senior leaders, I think there's a bit of arrogance that, you know, they shouldn't have to go and like and write comments on that dirty thing of social media and some really old school views that, um, you know, what I write for had for breakfast isn't going to be of interest to people and I'm going to say something that's going to end up on the front page of the paper. All of those old tropes are a decade old now and there is no difference from doing an all hands at work and, and talking about what you're proud of than going and doing a LinkedIn post and, and telling everyone what you're proud of in your organisation. And I think for many people, they now go and look online and see who are their bosses going to be and what do they think about um, issues in the world. And if you don't have a presence at all, it really says something about the kind of leader you are. It's just dawned on me though, Roger, I'm pretty sure your audience listening, we're preaching to the converted because the people who really need to listen to this may not be tuned into a digital focused podcast, but we need them to be. We need to drill it into them. Absolutely. And we're using all means necessary, including carrier pigeon, to try and get the message out there to those who aren't plugged in. But I think, you know, we we are joking a little bit about the use of technology and and there are those that are already on the bandwagon and certainly those that are going to be left behind. That dinosaur example you give earlier um, is a really good one and not uncommon across boardrooms around Australia. So I think with that context, what I'd like to do today, and, and, you know, you you call that technology is that thing that um, can either enhance or erode credibility of leaders today, which is, in a sense, that legacy. Um, I'm going to do you a favour again and replay your words back to you for the second (laughs) time. You've got me for the rest of the day, Roger. Just keep (laughs) quoting me back. (laughs) Warning, this could be a long podcast. So what you say is nothing shouts traditional leader more than someone who doesn't know how to use a virtual meeting platform. Now, I'm, I'm not going to throw rocks. Every single one of us, I'm sure, has at some point been told, hey, Roger's still on mute. So we all have our own little slip ups. But I do think you've hit the nail on the head here in terms of digital literacy or proficiency being a driver for perceptions of competency and credibility as a leader. I was absolutely blown away at the start of COVID um, when we started going back to having online meetings and there were 
people I knew who took a great deal of care about their presentation in meetings normally, throwing their weight around and doing those really um, alpha male handshakes and, you know, really wanting to set the tone. Here they were, I'm looking up their nostril in a dark room. They look like they've got a and torch under their chin you know the whole thing was ridiculous um now it was lovely and quite satisfying to see them lose all of that physical presence they'd relied on but you know more importantly what it reflected is that again arrogance I think or ignorance about caring um for how the person you're talking to is receiving you and I think it doesn't you don't have to be the most senior person in the world to get this wrong there's more junior people as well who might have their camera on a different computer and yet they're zooming and you can see half the side of their face or whatever what I'm advocating for is that you now stick out like a sore thumb and it's disrespectful so I believe if you are treating a virtual meeting seriously you would treat it just as you would one in person and that means making sure your lighting works and you know how to get online and I mean I think being left on mute is slightly different. We've all done that. <laughs> that is just a carelessness that I think every single one of us has happened uh, and continues to have happened. But I do think you should invest in uh, some good lighting, a good screen, a good uh, headset or computer or microphone or whatever. Um, and that is how you now show respect as a leader. And I think one thing that we talk about that aligns with what you're saying is this idea of symmetry. And so, as you were describing there, as the world shifted in terms of its physical rhythms into those more virtual rhythms, people who had perceived or real credibility offline and authority offline, when they were thrust into this new environment, if there wasn't symmetry between the people, the experience people had of them offline and the experience they were now having them of them online, everything is brought into question. And so, when you talk about um, you know, things like, or examples like the, the virtual meeting, I would say the same logic applies to the social media world where what you're saying and doing in an environment like LinkedIn, for example, if that doesn't stack up with what you what you have and, and continue to do offline, you'll be called out on it. And I think importantly, digital leaves a permanent footprint. So where you might have got away with the offhand remark in a physical environment, all of a sudden you've got many more eyes watching and a much more permanent record of that comment. So it's it's challenging leaders to really, as you say, you know, find that purpose, find what it is or why they became a leader and to find that people-centred focus and to apply that into the online world as much as they ideally do in the offline world. It must be symmetrical. I uh, couldn't agree more. And it's not difficult. Like we're not um, suggesting that you go and share your views on contentious topics. Well, I mean, frankly, please don't because the people who do tell me they're suddenly a Trump supporter, <laughs> like, okay, I didn't know that about you. We've now got a problem. But what you can do safely as a leader is talk about your team. Talk about someone who's done something brilliant in your team. Talk about your organisation. Again, you don't have to get controversial. You don't have to respond to news reports or something. Just talk about the good stuff. So that would be my advice to anyone sort of dipping their toe in the water is just talk about the things you would talk about publicly at a barbecue anyway or at a town hall or in front of your team. And I'm just, it shocks me people are still reluctant to do that. And I think there is a fear of online and exactly what you said, there's a long history, get it wrong and suddenly you will end up on the front page of the paper. 
But if you're not saying anything that you wouldn't say publicly, then you really can't go wrong. And, you know, I've been really fortunate that that's only ever been my rule. I, there's a whole bunch of topics I just don't comment on because it's not what I would necessarily talk about in front of a room of 300 people either. So if I'm not going to talk about it there, I'm certainly not going to talk about it online. But every other topic of which there's endless um, is perfectly safe. And there's other like-minded people out there who love to, to talk about leadership or equality or inclusion or whatever it might be. Do you think it's fair to say that one of the challenges that modern leaders have is that there is also that kind of, I, I get exactly where you're coming from and that sense of fear, but as you say, the sense of clarity around what, you're, what you are and are not going to talk about. I suppose the third factor we should bring in here is around the audience themselves and the expectation that people have today of what you will say and maybe what you won't say and how you, I suppose, support their interests as much as those things that are close to your heart. So do you have any practical advice there, I suppose, around if you if there's a, an issue you don't want to be drawn into as a leader, but there's an audience expectation that you should speak up mm. and should have an opinion to, you know, ideally make them feel comforted or reassured, what's the approach? Well, that is, that's a whole nother difficult topic. And, um, you know, with Source Through Marriage Equality, people like Alan Joyce, that was part of his personal brand. And some people were thrilled with that. Other people were not at all. And that's a personal decision. And I personally think he did a great job at raising that issue. And many other organisations got behind the bandwagon. There's other topics that uh, companies will stay away from. You don't see many CEOs talking about things like uh, refugees when that was particularly contentious, um, Catholic Church. You know, there's some topics that no one's going to go near because it is so divisive. But, you know, for me, I've chosen topics that I am passionate about, gender equality, sexual harassment, um, marriage equality, any of those sorts of trans rights. And I mean, I think you decide what is a line in the sand for you. And if it was put on the front page of the paper that Kirsten Ferguson had done a tweet about um, marriage equality at the time, I would have been thrilled because anything to raise. So, I mean, there's a few internal tests you do, but not everyone will feel that comfortable. So to your question, I think there is more than appropriate for leaders to be able to draw a line and say, look, I've got personal views on this quite strongly, but I really want to focus in the organisation on what we as an organisation are believed. And, you know, we have people on both sides of uh, the argument in the organisation and I'm here for everyone. You know, I just, I don't think any of this is rocket science. Um, it It is if you get it wrong <laughs> and you decide you are going to go out on a limb on a really random right-wing topic but you know no one's going to do that who's going to do that so I think there's a lot of fretting for no reason and look and I think a very practical way as with any other domain where we have conversations as leadership um, a very practical way to try and solve that issue is not to be the source of authority on every single mm -hmm. topic and and it is okay as you're saying if there's something that comes up that you don't feel comfortable owning that someone else within the organization is far better place to do this is the thinking and the merit behind the idea of a digital coalition 
have people who do speak mm. to different issues with different audiences. It doesn't all have to come from the top of the tree. No, and I've certainly been approached by some causes asking me to share and and they're not ones, I mean, I, they might be very admirable, but they're not ones that are close to my heart. They're not ones, because I think if you've got too many, people stop listening as well. So there's many reasons that you can very gently and um, respectfully say it is a really valuable issue, but it's not one where I can put all my efforts at the moment have you considered xyz and you know suggest an alternative so going back to your book again i think you make a fairly or what i think is a, a pretty fair statement but it is quite frank at the same time that ties this all together and you say that modern leaders put people at the center of that decision making and understanding that without an engaged motivated and purpose-led workforce any business goals are likely to fail so for me, this beautifully describes the challenge and the opportunity around leadership in the digital age in the sense that we can rally people around us with greater scale and impact than we ever were able to before, bearing in mind those sensitivities that we talked about, but it does require leaders to think, who is listening, who is watching, how will this impact them, and ideally, how will this motivate them? And, and I know you talk about this at length in the book around this idea of flexible workplace policies, and um, I also think that extends to leaders recognising their key audiences today are influenced heavily by what they say and do online or don't say and do online. That's where audiences are watching. So with, with that in mind and, and this idea of modern leaders putting people at the centre of what they do, maybe this is a, a, you know, it makes sense to run through the eight leadership attributes that you focus on in the book because I think it's a really helpful way to frame for people how to think about what they say and do in any given scenario on or offline um, and maybe then I'm you know, happy to dive a bit, a bit deeper on how the online world applies there. Yeah, and I mean, what I tried to capture in the book, this idea of head and heart, and it's not literal for any doctors <laughs> listening, obviously it's a metaphor that we we all know. But what I wanted to argue is that at any point in time, whether it's a conversation or a crisis or a project you're working on, you must find these attributes of head and heart. You need all of them, but you're going to need different amounts at different times. And so sometimes we're going to be really focused on leading with our head with you know a bit of our heart, and I'll explain what each of those mean. But other times it might need a whole heap of heart. And I think for some leaders who may have risen to the top of their organisations or their industries, we often get there through our head-based leadership, which is that technical, cognitive, rational decision-making part of our brain. And, you know, we love it because we can see, feel and touch the output of it. And we've been rewarded for it at school. But so many leaders now will be capped at a certain level because unless they're also able to put people at the centre and lead with heart, they're not going to get any further. So the four attributes of leading with the head, and we're going to talk about how you can measure your own. And Roger, I know you've measured yours, so we'll get to that in a moment. But let's set it up first so everyone knows what we're talking about. So the first four uh, attributes of leading with the head, the first is curiosity. And it's not being curious about some things. It's literally being curious about anything. We just want to learn and we want to challenge assumptions and rethink what we thought we knew. Wisdom, and this is about being able to assess what's known and unknown and weighing up risk and reward and searching for data and evidence. That's stuff we do literally every day in our workplace. Perspective, which is probably the most important of the eight, and that's being able to read the room. And it's, you know, not even just reading who's in the room and, and Obviously, the room can be a literal room, but also your organisation, your industry, the world, but also see who's missing from the room and the 
the voices you're not hearing. And lastly is capability. And that's all about having a growth mindset towards whatever it is you do. So they're the four leading with the head. And most people have those up the gazoo. Let's talk about what it means to lead with the heart, though. And this you can't see or touch or package. And it's all about how we view and are viewed by the world. And the four there are humility. And that obviously doesn't mean being subservient and some of those religious overtones that come with humility, but it's all about being willing to seek out the contributions of others and accepting that we don't know everything and just understanding that some things are beyond our control. Um, The second is self-awareness. And so that's having an awareness of the impact you have on others and our limitations. The third is courage, which is standing up for what we believe in, even in the face of pressure from others not to do so. And then empathy. And empathy is the most misunderstood. It's not compassion, it's not sympathy or pity, but it's being able to comprehend the views and emotions of others, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, but without taking on those emotions yourself. And it's also being willing to accept that diverse uh, experiences and points of view, quite different to your own, are the ones that often add the most value to uh, a decision you've got to make. So they're the eight. And at any point in time, you're going to need all, some, one of those. The art of modern leadership is knowing what is needed when. And so to help people, I developed an online tool with QUT. So anyone listening, it's free to do. And I know you've done it, Roger. It only takes a couple of minutes. Just visit headheartleader.com. So Roger, why don't we talk about your experience? How did you go? I'm a little nervous. Now. <laughs> um, hopefully well, but you tell There's me. There's no <laughs> wrong answers. There's no wrong answers. No, I've, I've got to say I was surprised. I was surprised. What's su- so-, so before you did it, if I'd asked you mm. if you thought you were a head or heart, leader just generally what would you have thought so I, I think you know you've mentioned a number or the, the eight attributes there things that immediately struck me when reading through uh, before doing the survey were things like curiosity I consider myself to be a fairly curious person and I think you almost have to be if you work in the digital mm. space because it is evolving and changing so quickly um, I'd like to think that I have some wisdom but again it's in a fairly contained space and so that's why <laughs> I didn't know what I'd find um, and empathy you talked about empathy I think that one of the greatest missed opportunities in the space that I work in is the capacity that social media gives you to understand someone else's perspective, which you couldn't talk to, agree more. To then drive empathy. Yeah. yeah. And so these are the things that, that jumped out. But again, you tell me because you've seen many well, more responses than mine. I have Roger's uh, scale here. And let me tell you, your wisdom is off the charts. <laughs> so you're obviously very good at using reason and logic and looking for data and evidence. Um, in comparison, mine is <laughs> really pathetic. <laughs> I'm not wise <laughs> at all. So yours is, um, and anyone listening, if you go and do the scale, you'll see your results compared to a norm group we had, a sample mm-hmm. group. And so you can compare your results to others. And uh, so Roger is off the scale on wisdom, but also courage, which I thought was lovely. And, you know, you spoke about curiosity. Um, yeah, you know, you're just on par there <laughs> in the curious curious, apparently exactly (laughs) well but that can also be um accepting we don't know everything so maybe that's Mm. a a part of it but you know when Mm. you read it what sort of struck you you said you were surprised Mm. well I think again I think that um 
and maybe it's part of this whole conversation that we're having in this idea of digital participation. I don't necessarily know, um, or I haven't lived through, I should say, every single scenario. And I think the point that you made before we went through this analysis about a leader's almost superpower, if I can call it that, is their ability to adapt in certain circumstances. That for me is almost like, the thing that sits around everything. And so, you know, while I found the survey interesting and it, it, it may have um, uh, it may have given me some insight that I didn't expect and things that, that perhaps I was hopeful for, at the same time, I think what you're saying and what's really important for people to take away from the survey, in my view, is the application of different strengths in different scenarios. I don't want to be wise all the time. I don't want no. to be trying to, as I do all the time, by the way, and it's not terribly successful, try to come across all analytical and, and wise and logical with my seven-year-old and it doesn't work. He doesn't <laughs> really respond terribly well to that stuff. So you've got to know when to dial That's it up and when to dial it down. That's the art of modern leadership. So exactly. And in one conversation with your seven-year-old, you might have to d- call on a number of those different attributes because it might start with, you know, having a bit of empathy for what he's upset about. And then before you know it, there's going to be a bit of capability here going, okay, but really you can clean your room. So, you know, there's a whole range of um, needing to read the room. So perspective in the research that I did found that it is the one most correlated to the other eight attributes. So if you're high in perspective, and I will add that Roger is, so Roger is above average uh, on perspective, that is a real super power as you called it and uh, it allows you to understand the feelings of others and and read those rooms so it's a good skill to have well and I do wonder people who work in this environment or at least you know in your case spend a lot of time in the digital space where you are learning as you were saying or hearing different messages from people about different issues that some that you care about or even you know the inside around a Trump supporter it's like it's still a stimulus it's still an input for you I my personal belief is that leaders who do immerse themselves in that not in terms of a time intensive exercise, but instead in terms of it's like oxygen, we just breathe that as part of our day to day activities. Leaders who immerse themselves in that space tend to make wiser or perhaps more considered uh, comments, decisions, take more considered actions. And that for me builds perspective. And I think that's a really powerful um, potential opportunity here for leaders. Not about yourself. It's not about ego. It's actually about learning the views and perspectives of others to be a more, you know, head and heart leader in the right time. And it's so interesting. Like I love um, old Twitter. I'm a bit off Twitter at the moment, but that's for other reasons. But Twitter has probably been one of my main um, platforms that I've loved. And that's because the people I follow or learn from are completely unlike me. And it's not necessarily even as binary as they are a Trump supporter or not. It might be that they're a completely different socioeconomic background. And so you hear about some of the challenges they have, you know, in in what they're dealing with that I might never have known. And, you know, there's endless examples like that of people who have experienced things that are just well beyond the realms of what we've experienced experienced. Uh, So I think for leaders, it's essential, but even more so if it's your company or your brand or your people that are being spoken about online, you just need to be there. I couldn't believe, um, you know, what you said about it being like breathing. I 
I don't know any other way to be than to be present online and offline. And so many people would say to me, oh, I don't know how you find the time. I'm already so busy. I haven't got an extra hour, like all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I'm pretty busy too. And I know what I'm doing, but I don't count up the minutes I'm online any more than I'd count up, you know, how long I'm spending chatting to people in person. So I think it's a mindset about leading online and thinking about it differently is what we need to overcome. It is It is simply a way to lead today. It, it should be part of your toolkit. And, and I think the one thing I'd say to Kirsten is maybe not directed at leaders, but certainly directed at their advisors, if that's the mindset, if the mindset is I don't have time, I would absolutely point the finger at advisors and people who are um, supporting leaders in this space to say, that is your opportunity to demonstrate the value of this environment, to provide intelligence, to provide perspective to your leaders and advocate for change, advocate for them taking up these opportunities to ensure that you know their leadership does have scale and impact today. So yeah, I appreciate it. If that's a barrier that's too hard to cross, this is a wonderful opportunity for them to get help. So. One of the other things for me, and I think it, it probably stitches together those eight attributes and what you said right at the start or the quote that I stole from you right at the start, which is around those moments. I, I do feel like, as you said, dialing it up and dialing it down for certain um, scenarios is incredibly powerful. And for leaders to use digital communication channels, social media channels to communicate in those moments that matter it's a really powerful way of driving what we've talked about on this podcast before, intimacy at scale, storytelling. And it just becomes those little moments of every day that one, provide a reputational buffer in the future because you've got something you can point back to and say, well, look at the journey that I've gone on. Two, you build that connection and affinity with communities because they come on the journey with you and they see different steps of the way. Perfect example of this that we have talked about before is Minister Victor Dominello. And, and I think what what this intimacy at scale does, it allows, it, will, it taps into this idea of head and heart because you are sharing things, not in these big bang moments, not waiting for this kind of monumental announcement, but instead you're sharing the everyday. You're sharing moments of capability, of perspective, of wisdom, of empathy. You're doing these things to show that you are a head and heart leader. And I just wonder, I certainly see the value in leaders approaching their own um, digital reputation and their own activities that way. Who comes to mind for you when I do talk about people who do that well? Is there, are there, are there examples of leadership that stand out that you go, go and have a look at these people? I wish there were more. Um, like I'm literally struggling to think here because I like I appreciate the and I'm thinking of very senior leaders now. So the you use the ASX 200 sort of leadership um, as the a group. I would love to see more authentic posts from them that haven't been done by their advisors, um, but that are them talking about things that haven't gone so well and um, being real. I mean, Jacinda Ardern is a master at this in terms of uh, a politician, and so Zelensky as well. It, both of them, you know, know how to use digital as a leadership platform. Um, but Jacinda Ardern's strengths were, you know, when she does her Facebook Live, with the baby vomit on her shoulder and the kids running. Like, it's just real, yet she still doesn't lose any um, respect in what she's talking about and leading her country. And I think so many leaders could benefit from feeling confident enough in their own leadership and who they are and what they stand for to be able to be seen outside of that really 
um, sanitized often version of themselves. And I, I mean, I know people would respect that a lot more. There was a, an article just recently, and I, I wish I could remember the circumstances, but it was a CEO who had failed to deliver something over Christmas. They were late for deliveries and it just didn't work out in the quality. It was just a big snafu. But he went online and basically was just real and going, I'm devastated. Like, this is not good enough. I'm I'm not good enough. I need to do better. Our supply chains, you know, I need to. It just took total responsibility. Um, Everyone, of course, went, no worries. You're like, we're so glad. How can we now order from you again? What can we do? It's that kind of um, authenticity that people know and we can sniff out bullshit and we know when people are bullshitting us and I think we need to see less bullshit online and more authenticity. I think that's right and, and as you're describing there, people don't expect to see perfection and in the same way that they don't expect to see or want to see people pretending to be perfect and I think leaders need to kind of break down that facade and, and hopefully many more continue to. Look, I, I think We've talked about, about the risks, I suppose, of, of getting things wrong. And, and I suppose, yes, that, that permanent footprint that digital does leave behind you. But if we can finish with a, a positive slant on that, and particularly even that example as you give it, this is the opportunity for leaders to live an indelible legacy, something that is permanent and enduring. And we talk about digital as being this trends in the environment. Well, you can scale a positive impact far more effectively online. And so by leaving really purposeful footprints, you are going to leave a legacy that will impact others well beyond your reach. So I think if, if people can take the lessons from what you've shared in your book and apply them accurately, even if it is like breathing oxygen online, they'll be far better for it. Yeah, look, I mean, and you're talking to the person that started an entire movement online called Celebrating Women with just one tweet um, with four answers to questions from my mother in 2017. And that led to 757 women from 37 countries being celebrated in that campaign. So I am a big proponent that it just takes one little step um, and it doesn't have to be an entire campaign or movement but just liking, celebrating, congratulating um, people in your team online publicly is an incredibly powerful way to make a difference. Absolutely. Well, Kirsten, look, I'm so thankful for your wisdom today that you shared with us. You say it's not one of your strengths, <laughs> I've got to say. Pick up the book and have a read. Um, and I sh- I've got to ask, if people have questions or comments and where to find the book, what's the best way for them to reach you and, and get, get a copy of the book? Uh, well, the book's everywhere um, in all good bookstores, as they say. But if you go to headheartleader.com, um, you can find all the links to all the different online places. You can also get it in audio book. You'll hear my voice, <laughs> whether or not that's a good thing. Uh, for 10 hours or so uh, or it's also in ebook but um, go to headheartleader.com and you can also take that scale quiz survey uh, for free and I'd love to hear from you and hear what you think of the book. Dr Kirsten Ferguson thank you so much for being part of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.